Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So this is 1 Corinthians 6, 12 to 20. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one in flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that the body that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Thanks, Ola. Why don't uh, don't I pray? Let's take a moment. I was actually uh, in tears at the end of our song worship there. Just uh, come and be chainless. Paul says, I'll be mastered by none. Lord, come and make us people of chainless people today. And may grace and truth be in equal measure through everything we say and hear. And bring us out of darkness into light. And as Craig helpfully led us, you are a rescuer. It's you. And we look to you now. Amen. So, uh, Three book recommendations. We're going to be taking an honest look at pornography and masturbation today. A little booklet called It's All About Me, The Problem with Masturbation. Brilliant little booklet. I suggest you get it. Um, There's free guides online called The uh, Sexual Detox for the Single Guy and the Married Guy. I have two copies I printed out here if you want one. And a great to do in life group, six weeks with a guy called Tim Chalice, taking you through God's original design for sex and how we've gone to the counterfeit. And then a friend of ours at Christ City Church and of mine, Tim Chester, he preached uh, called Captured by a Better Vision, Living Porn Free, a great book. So I just encourage you to follow up anything from today that touches you by having a read of those books. Uh, And some of them are shorter and some of them are longer. So you might be asking yourself, why are we talking up front so publicly, so directly about such a sensitive topic as pornography and masturbation? Well, I want to base this talk out of the passage that all are read from, 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul deals with the subject of sexual immorality. He's not dealing with pornography and masturbation. By the way, this talk has a 12 plus rating. So if your kids are at the back freaking out, then do take them out. And, uh, but uh, yeah, I should have said that at the start. Uh, so Paul, Paul isn't dealing with porn and masturbation. He's dealing with much bigger issues. In chapter 5, which we didn't read, he's dealing with someone that is sleeping with their mother-in-law. So someone is in the church is having sex with their father's wife. 
And in chapter 6, he's dealing, and all are read it, with people that are sleeping with prostitutes. And it's not just one person. It seems to be a number in the church are sleeping with prostitutes. So if you think I'm being upfront and controversial by tackling the issue of porn and masturbation from the front, I'm not even scratching the surface of upfrontness and controversy. Paul was dealing with something much bigger. So why does Paul address it to the whole church? Why does he write a public letter to the whole church? And why should I do the same in a sermon? Well, there's two reasons for then and there's two reasons for now. The first reason is, as in Corinth, when Paul was speaking about sleeping with prostitutes, so today with pornography and masturbation, this is an issue so many people face. A recent survey found that 50% of Christian men and 20% of Christian women are addicted to porn. That means in the room right now, say there's 70 people, over 15 men and 6 women right now in this room are currently addicted to porn according to those stats. And it's not just a male issue. I read in the Tim Chester book, he has a whole bit about how women find it hard to talk about it and open up because it's seen as a male issue, so they can't even go there because there's almost more shame so often women feel. So like Corinth, like modern day, this isn't an issue for a few where we should do it in one-to-one discipleship. This is an issue for many, and it is not God's design that the kingdom of darkness have any hold on the people of light. And so we have to confront it, and we have to move from darkness to light, and we have to be free from the sin that so easily entangles. Secondly, Paul did it, and I'm doing it, because we have to work through this together. We have to. It's the only way of getting free from sexual sins. Real freedom from slavery to porn and masturbation only comes when you come into the light of the Christian community. It only comes that way. There's no other way to it. In the isolation of your own privacy, you will never be free from sexual sin. You have to confess it to a brother or sister and learn to walk in the light. That is painful and scary. It is the only path to freedom. Once you find the courage to confess your sin and talk about it, you'll find a weight coming out of your life, you'll find the shackles of the sin being broken, you'll find a freedom and a joy in your walk with God, and the Holy Spirit come flooding in. A lot of what we're trying to do in this series on sex and relationship, in a sense, is turn the light on around issues our culture and the church typically don't want to speak about. And I'm praying the Holy Spirit will give you courage in your way to start talking more about this in your city group, in your life group with good friends. And Leanne and I are available if any of you would like to talk. So we need to speak about it. A lot of people struggle with it. And we must learn to deal with it maturely together. Now, I guess there's four types of people in the room today. There's those who don't think porn and masturbation are morally wrong. And I hope by the end of today or in 10 minutes' time, you'll see how horrible, self-centered, and destructive they are. And you'll put them in the morally wrong category. There's those of you that don't know how to escape their power. I want to show you today there's plenty of grace, plenty of power on hand and hope in Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. There's those of you that have stopped fighting, probably because maybe you tried in the past and failed. And maybe you said it didn't matter, God's going to forgive me anyway, you know, why does it matter? And, you know, and therefore we end up with what's called cheap grace. You know, God's just going to forgive me, it doesn't matter. And I hope to challenge you and spur you on to holiness today and living and pursuing the light and the freedom and the joy of God. And there's those of you who don't struggle. And two things. 1 Corinthians 12, 10, be careful you don't fall. And secondly, you have a vital role in helping those that do learn to walk in the light. 
So how does Paul start dealing with these two big issues of sexual immorality in his day, and how should we? He starts where society and culture is at. He starts by challenging the mindset of what people believed in first century Corinth, and we're going to look at what people believe in 21st century Dublin. Listen to what he says. The Corinthians quote uh, something from culture and adopting it from themselves. They say something like this, I have the right to do anything you say, like Paul is quoting back to them, but not everything is beneficial. And a better translation is, everything is permissible for me. And that is kind of the way our culture goes with sexual, you know, sexual ethics. Everything is permissible for me. With first century Corinth, 21st century Dublin, the culture hasn't changed around sex. Everything's permissible. And there are probably two ways that's seen in the church. The first one is, look, everything's permitted. It doesn't matter because Jesus has forgiven me. Or everyone's permitted. Like, it's, in, it's not illegal. You don't get put in prison for it. Society does it. My friends are always talking about it. You can get away with it, and there's no consequences. It's lawful. I enjoy it. No one gets hurt. Everything's permissible. And that's, as I said, the rally cry of today's culture. Everyone does it. It's normal for society. I enjoy it. I'm harming no one. It's consensual. It's my own body. Leave me alone. I have the right to do what I want. Paul says, okay, everything's permissible. Is it beneficial? Have a different category to how you think about it. Just because the law allows it, just because society accepts it, what effects is it having on your society? What effects is it having on you as a person? Is it benefiting you, Paul says? The answer is no. Let me show you six ways pornography and masturbation are ruining our lives. It's not beneficial. Firstly, porn wrecks our view and ability to have real sex. God made sex to be about relationships, intimacy, and self-giving. Pornography and masturbation do not have relationships, intimacy, or self-giving. Studies have shown that people that have become enslaved to porn and masturbation cannot end up having real sex with real people. Do you remember the quote I had from Russell Brand in week one? He was humble enough to say pretty much that. Because real sex involves intimacy, relationship, and serving. For those who are looking at porn and masturbating twice a week for 10 years, they've never had to serve or satisfy anyone but themselves. They're lost in a pit of self-serving sexual slavery. How are they ever going to serve someone else when it's a real person? They can't. The stats show it. Secondly, porn and masturbation wrecks our view and ability to relate to real women and real men, I should say. Women are nothing but objects to be consumed. And therefore, you're, if you're addicted to porn and masturbation, you're constantly using women as objects to be consumed. You're never building relationships with these women. You're never helping these women. You're never treating them with dignity. You know how to relate to porn stars, the ones that serve you in your fantasies. You don't know how to relate to real women and vice versa for men that you have to serve. Pornography and masturbation wrecks view of women's, uh, uh, women's view of themselves and, again, men. Because women feel a pressure to match the bodies and the sex drive of the people in the movies, of the magazines, of your fantasies. If I don't look like that, if I don't have a sex drive like that, if we don't have these amazing orgasms, there's huge self-esteem issues. In this sense, porn is just the tip of an iceberg where there's a huge pressure on men and women and what we should look like and how we should be. And it leads to self-doubt, anorexia, bulimia, depression, self-harm, suicide, and the rest. This is not beneficial. If, you're, if you are viewing porn and choosing to masturbate with sexual fantasies in your mind, you are playing your part in destroying women's view of themselves. It's permissible, it's not beneficial. Fourthly, porn actually kills women. 
Apparently, many of the porn stars are on drugs to dull the pain, and it's common for women to vomit between shots. There's a chilling video that a former porn actress has put together that lasts seven minutes, and it shows 82 stars that were either murdered, took an overdose, suffered from alcohol poisoning, or shot themselves because the porn industry is so cruel. If you're viewing porn, everything's permissible. I do. You're killing women. You're fueling an industry that does it. Porn and masturbation wrecks families. Obviously, it's going to be a cancer ruining any marriage. But it will affect your children. One in ten people in Tim Chester's survey said they first encountered porn when they found their dad's stash. But it's not just that. It's your moral authority in the home. If you've got this secret sin in your life, how dare you? And you know you can't discipline your children. You can't. You will lack the moral authority to be the man or the woman that God wants you to be in the home. Finally, porn wastes time, money, and energy. Like any slavery to sin, any addiction, you find your life and your money and your gifts being drained away by something that gives nothing back. It robs you, it steals from you, it deprives you, it makes you a lesser human being than the one God intended, which is what Paul's going to say next. It's enslaved you. Corinthians, 21st century Dublin, it's permissible. It is not beneficial in any way to you or society. So Paul goes on and says, okay, well, let's let's look at your, I have the right to do anything. Paul says, yeah, I'm not going to be mastered by anything. Everyone I've ever spoken to who struggled with porn and masturbation will admit it has a power over their lives, that they're enslaved to a master that they often can't get free from. The cry of modern culture, I'm free, I can do what I want. No one's going to tell me what's right and wrong. You tell me who's free. Person A who can't help themselves has to look at porn, has to masturbate, has to have a fling at the weekend to satisfy themselves, who can't say no to a man or a woman because it gives them a, you know, a high for a moment, or person B that struggles really hard, denies themselves, puts accountability software on the computer and says no to the fling. Which person's free? People can't say no. We're enslaved. Someone who's free can say no. They're mastered by none. C.S. Lewis, when describing how the devil uses pleasure in a counterfeit way to pull us from God, says, an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. Porn and masturbation enslave you in a way that's an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. It erodes your character as sin desensitizes you. As you compromise in this area and make excuses, well, why shouldn't I compromise in another area and make excuses? Eventually, your whole character starts to erode, and it will weaken your relationship with God. Guilt will consume you. You may doubt your salvation. You'll certainly lose the joy of your salvation. You certainly won't be able to read the Bible, pray, and have fellowship with other believers, come into the light with a sense of gusto and joy, whilst knowing that you're sexually sinning regularly. It really, really makes me upset that so many men and women have been sidelined from Christian ministry, and the church is disempowered because we haven't learned to break free from these sins. Paul says, I'm not going to be mastered by anyone or anything but Jesus. So the Corinthian cry, today's cry, it's, beneficial, it's, it's permissible, I can do what I want. It's not beneficial. It's enslaving you. It's horrible. It's ugly. It's tearing people apart, marriages apart, society apart. You're becoming less and less of the human God made you to be. It's destroying you slowly. It's not pleasant to tell you this. It's probably even harder to listen to it. Why do I do it? Why does Paul do it? Let me give you the two reasons. If you want to be free from this, you have to hate the sin more than the consequences 
of the sin. Many people don't like the guilt and the shame and all that that comes from these things, but they don't hate the sin. You've got to hate it. You've got to see how horrible it is. You got to want, I remember Tim Chester, when he was writing the book and I knew him, he said, please pray for me that I don't fall into temptation. He's writing a whole book on it. And I asked him at the end of the book, he said, as I got to see how horrible it was, I was so deterred from looking at anything. You have to hate it. Rather than go, I don't like the guilt and the shame in the morning after, but I, uh, no, hate the actual sin, not the guilt and the shame that follows to be free from it. You've got to see how ugly, ugly, ugly and destructive it is. Secondly, you have to stop making excuses. We would do this, all of us do it with any sin, but particularly sexual sin. I remember when Leanne and I were early on in relationships in our teenage years, and we went too far, and we were struggling with physical boundaries. We used to find ways of convincing ourselves or not talking about it with one another or with other people, persuading ourselves it wasn't that bad. God doesn't mind, whatever it was, making cheap grace our, our way through. The Corinthians were making excuses. Everything's permissible. Everyone does it. Society thinks it's normal. It's not illegal. You're not going to put in prison for it. And Paul says, stop making excuses. See it for what it is. You're enslaved. It's benefiting no one. And Paul has a few more excuses, a few more lies, a few more mindset issues that he has to expose before he can get to the truth that's going to set them free. Listen to another excuse they have. You say food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. So the Corinthians are basically saying, look, when I get hungry, I eat. When I have sexual urges, I sleep with a prostitute, or I masturbate, or I look at porn. Or it's, just, it's just biological. I have hunger urges, and I satisfy them. I have sexual urges, and I satisfy them. That's the purpose of the body. The body's not important. One day, it's going to be destroyed by God. It's what they thought. We're going to come through it. It's not true. It's okay because it relieves sexual tension. It's okay because everyone's, you know, it's consensual. It's okay because it's going to make me a better lover. That's actually false. It's okay because my wife is tired. It's okay because I'm single. It's okay. It's not that bad. You know, if you want to sin, you'll find incredibly creative ways to find excuses and bad theology to back it up. The Corinthians had done that. We commit sexual sin, we know it's wrong, and yet we find incredibly creative excuses. We rely on cheap grace. I wonder what excuse you are giving right now to justify it, generally and in the moment. So Paul has to expose the lies and change their mindset drastically. But there's always a two-pronged attack when it comes to fighting sin, exposing the lie, changing the mindset, and then replacing it with truth. Famously, Jesus said to the religious leaders, we've just sung about it, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, John chapter 8. But if you hold to my teaching, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Believing the lie enslaves you, the lies of our culture, the Corinthians had, believing the truth will set you free. It was that way at the beginning, Adam and Eve. Did God really say not to eat from that? Oh, maybe he didn't start to believe a lie, and slave to sin. How do you get transformed? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Three times in verses 9, 15, and 16, Paul says, do you not know? He goes to truth. We need to get truth, change our mindset. Do you not know your body? Do you not know you're united to Christ? Do you not know? Your body is not your own. Each time he reminds them of something that is currently true because of what Jesus has done. He goes back to what is true about their identity through Christ. In other words, do you not know your body is not your own? And Paul gives them four amazing truths about your actual body. I don't know if you know this, 
but this is the four truths he gives about your identity and your body. He says, your body was created by God. The body uh, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God made your body. God gave you your body. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It was a gift. It's his. You're a steward of your body. It was created by God. Secondly, it was redeemed by God. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. There was a price to buy you out of slavery. We just sang about it. Do you know what it, what it cost God to redeem you and buy you out of your sexual slavery? He had to take on flesh and blood. Hebrews 4 says God is able to, well, Jesus is able to sympathize with us because he was like us in every way. He was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. Jesus faced sexual temptation as much as you or I ever have, but did not sin. But then in his perfect, pure body that had never sinned but faced every temptation common to human, mankind, his body was stripped naked so everyone could see him. He was exposed. He was beaten to a pulp and nailed to a cross in his body. Why? Listen to Colossians. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your where? Where were your enemy? In your minds. Because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. Sexual sinners like you and me could be declared legal status before God, holy, without blemish, and free from any accusation of the devil. No matter what you've done in your body, so today, the 4th of November, 2018, if you are trusting in Jesus, the scandal of the gospel is that right now you are holy. Right now you are blameless. Right now you are free from accusation because you stand in Christ and he paid the penalty. That is the scandal of grace. God saw all your porn, your masturbation, your casual sex, your breaking of his boundaries, all you did in your body, all the sin, impurity, lust, slavery, and he said, I'm going to buy it back. I want that body back and I want it pure. I want innocence restored that was lost. I'm going to redeem it. I'm gonna, what is it going to cost God? He says, I'm going to send my son. Like a husband who wants a pure bride. He wants to make the bride beautiful in his sight without stain, wrinkle, or any blemish, but holy. God wants a radiant bride. So he says, I'm going to wash her. What's it going to take? The death of my son. Blood poured out, and now there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. I wonder if you need to know that your body has been bought at a price. And that now, if you trust in Christ, not by works of your own, but through faith, you are radiant and beautiful and holy to him, no matter what you have done in your body. And you must understand this for four reasons. If you want to try and defeat sin and you haven't understood your forgiveness and your holiness, you will do it for all the wrong reasons and you'll burn out. You'll be trying to get rid of your guilt. You'll be trying to make yourself acceptable to God. It won't work. God makes you acceptable through Christ. He imputes his righteousness to you while he takes your sin the huge, great exchange of the gospel. And then you, from a position of forgiveness and blameless status before God, can fight sin, not to get rid of your guilt, not to make yourself acceptable. He made you acceptable. And now you can fight sin and walk in the light. Firstly, you must know if you want to fight this sin. Secondly, there's something else too. Time and time again, people engage in sexual sin because they think they are worthless, because they think they are ugly. And by Performing some kind of sexual sin, it makes them seem more attractive for a moment, even in their fantasies. They seek affirmation and satisfaction in the wrong way. So we commit sexual sin because we don't think we're worth it and we think we're ugly. 
Can you see how beautiful you are to God? Can you see how worth it you are? You're worth the death of his son. You could not be more valuable. Jesus had nails driven through his hands to say, this is how much I think you are valuable to me. This is how valuable you are to me. There couldn't be a bigger bigger price tag on your head. No matter what you think about yourself, your self-esteem, what you think about your body, God says, it's beautiful, it's mine, I made it, I'm going to redeem it. Don't give up. Don't think you're cheap and worthless. Three, other people commit sexual sin because they don't think they're worth keeping pure. They're too far gone. It's too late. They've messed up. They're too defiled. What they've done in their body so far is so horrendous. How could God ever give me a fresh start? Can you see he can? Can you see he can? You're never too far. You're never too gone. And fourthly, to those people that say, well, God will forgive me anyway. It doesn't matter. Can you see what you're saying? You're treating Jesus the same way you treat porn and masturbation to build a world with you at the center where you get what you want without any cost. The cross cost Jesus to have nails through his hands. Don't look at that and go, he'll forgive me anyway. Look at it and weep. Look at it and let it change your heart. You were bought at a price. So your body was built by God or created by God. It was redeemed by God. Thirdly, it is now indwelt by God. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Verse 15, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? So when you become a Christian, your body becomes a member of Christ, which means the church. The church is Christ's body on earth. So every single one of us becomes part of the body of Christ, the church. We are members of Christ through the church. But we're also, Jesus says, personally indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So Paul basically says, think about it. When you sleep with a prostitute, the Bible says you're one with her in flesh. But you're one with Jesus because he lives in you. So you're kind of making Jesus sleep with a prostitute. You see that? What you do in your body implicates Jesus because Jesus lives in your body. When you look at porn, you're making him look at it. You thought of it like that? When you masturbate, well, it implicates him because he lives in you. You're indwelt by him. Do you not know your body is not your own? It was built, redeemed, and now indwelt by Jesus himself. Fourthly, one day your body's going to be raised perfect by God. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. See that? Jesus was raised from the dead, and you also will be raised. When we die, we don't lose our bodies and become a floating soul. That's bad medieval theology about heaven. No, like Jesus, we will have an imperishable body that will not suffer death and decay. Our body's going to be fully redeemed, and it's still going to be me, but it's going to be different and better. I hope I can fly, just so you FYI in heaven, if you ever meet me and I'm flying, I said, I hope I'll be able to do this in my new body. God is going to finish the work of salvation. He dealt with sin, but he hasn't dealt with death and decay. When Christ comes again, he says, I'm going to give the whole earth a fresh start in a beautiful way that death and decay no longer hinder it. Your body is going to be brand new. I'm going to finish this freedom from slavery and sin. The Corinthians say, everything's permissible. Paul says, is it beneficial? Does it enslave you? The Corinthians say, hey, food for the stomach, stomach for the food. When I'm hungry, I eat. When I'm horny, I look at porn and masturbate. Who cares? It's just my body. It's going to be destroyed anyway. There's no higher purpose. Paul says, you're wrong. Belongs to Jesus. Your body was created by him, redeemed by him, indwelt by him, one day going to be fully raised perfect by him. It's not going to be destroyed. What's the application? Flee sexual immorality. Honor God with this body that he's given you. There's a call to action to flee and to honor flee. You cannot faff. You cannot pretend. You cannot hope it's okay. You cannot dabble. You cannot stay close. You cannot go, how close to the line can I get? And it's okay. Flee the line. 
Do you remember Potiphar's wife? I'm just going through Genesis again in my personal devotion. Chapter 39 of Genesis. One, um, Joseph, excuse me, with Potiphar's wife. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. No, sexual temptation waiting to happen. Me and Potiphar's wife. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. He left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house naked. Flee. Don't go into the bedroom on your own late at night with your boyfriend. Flee. Don't have a few to drink and go, it's okay. We'll just, no, flee. Do whatever it takes to flee. Start to honor God with your body. So what's the application from all this? Some applications. Do you need to start to expose some of the lies you've taken from culture and accepted as normative? Stop making excuses. See how destructive and offensive and ugly, how it destroys your life and societies and families. And face it and stop excusing it. Do you need to reinforce the truth that you are so valuable to God? He has paid the price. Everything that needed to be done has been paid for. You are forgiven, you are holy and blameless, you are worth it. Your body is now redeemed one day fully. Do you need to tell someone else and start to work it through, through the Christian community here or elsewhere? Be sure of this, you'll never be free from sexual sin in the darkness of your own knowledge. Someone else has to know. You have to come into the light. When you confess the sin, half the battle is over. Leanne and I are happy to talk or talk to someone you trust in the church. And the fourth application I want to do for all of us. We're always called every day to live more and more in the light than the darkness. I said in the prayer time before the service that we enter the room in light and we're going to leave in darkness, right? Physically. And I pray, Lord, as we come in our various areas of darkness, we leave spiritually in the light. None of us has been fully redeemed yet. None of us can say, I don't have any sexual sin in my life. None of us can. For me, it will be different from you, but we've all got challenges and temptations. And there's a call to come into the light and go, I want to live in the light of your presence, the light of truth, the light of community, the light of honesty and integrity, the light of believing what you say rather than what the culture says. Look what Paul says to a different set of Christians in Ephesus. Uh, He says this, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You see, the identity, you have been made light. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord, not find out how close to the line you can get. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds. Don't you love that? It's fruitless deeds of darkness. But rather expose them. That's what I'm trying to do tonight. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. You come into the light, God transforms you, and then you become a light to others. That is why it's said, this is the call for Christ City Church, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you with his love and his forgiveness and his power of the Spirit. Be set free. Paul never doubts the Corinthians are Christians. He never doubts those in Ephesus are Christians. He always reminds them of their identity through faith in Christ, but he calls them to holiness. So I want us to come forward, and you don't have to, but I literally want everyone who feels they want to come forward, I'm going to go to light a candle and say, I want to walk more in the light than in the darkness as a result of today. And you're going to come forward, and your issue will be different from my issue. 
but it's committing to the light of forgiveness, not guilt and shame. To the light of truth, not hiding in excuses. To the light of community, not isolation. And to the light of living in righteousness, not sin. So we're going to have three songs to finish. There's going to be plenty of space. We'll have a song to reflect, and then we'll start singing. And I just want us to come forward. If you don't want to come forward, that's fine. And as I said, I'd encourage every one of us. We've all got different areas. We need to walk more in the light. As I said, Leanne and I are happy to pray with you today or another time or talk to someone else you know. So why don't the band come back? I'm going to pray, and then uh, I'm going to light the first candle. And uh, take your time. We're in no rush. I want us to really consider what it means to come and live in the light and let Christ shine on you. So do you want to stand? And let's pray. We'll leave that. If you're comfortable, just close your eyes and reflect. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Is it grace you need to know again, that you're forgiven and loved? Or is it truth that you need to know again? A spurring on to holiness. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead. Christ will shine on us. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness, your love, your embrace. Thank you for the scandal of the gospel that Steve Vaughan in all his sexual sin and mistakes, the things I've done in this body that I regret, I'm blameless. As Craig said in the song worship, he loves me and he loves you. It's never too late. We are worth, we're not worthless. We are worth the death of the Son of God. So Lord, speak to us now as we respond in song. Help us. And... Uh, I pray this moment, we do pray the power of darkness would lessen in our lives and the kingdom of light would increase. And we pray for freedom that you won for us, that we would come and be chainless as we sang earlier. In your name we pray. Amen. blood.